I just knew in my heart that my, my husband was gone, that he didn't get out. Wow. I was told that four different people, three or four different people went in and tried to get to him, but the smoke was so thick and it was a 130 year old church. So you can imagine the age of the timbers and the insulation in there, how dry that must've been. Yes. Yes. But I, I remember standing in that alfalfa field, you know, across from the church and the flames were like 40 and 50 feet high and I couldn't get warm. You know, I, I could, I couldn't talk. I could barely breathe. And it was like, I was on this movie set, like a really bad, bad movie. And I remember like this monarch butterfly just flittering around my legs. And all I could think was I didn't get to say goodbye. Welcome to the Ignite Your Sacred Light podcast. I'm your host, Sally Page, inviting you to explore the deep inner truth of your heart and soul that reveals your sacred light. Aligning with your inner truth will provide the illumination to reach far beyond your perceived fears and limitations into the higher consciousness where your inner potential emerges, your personal evolution can lead you to a life of inspiration, love, and joy. Join me on this sacred inner journey of self-discovery. Hello and welcome. I want to tell you about a very exciting guest I have today. Her name is Jennifer Bichanich. She is a published writer, speaker, teacher, dreamer, and dog lover, after my own heart, a tour guide of the heart. She facilitates deep level healing through art, dreams, and intuition. I love that. And her workshops and spiritual life coaching help women who have been through tragic loss, such as loss of a loved one passion or purpose, where they can discover how to find their bliss so that instead of giving up, they have a second chance. And that is why I invited you here. I've heard you talk about your bliss process and the work you do is really lovely. And I think you have a wonderful experience and learning that you can share with our listeners. So thank you so much for being here today, Jennifer. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Sally. It's just such an honor. And I'm so excited for your podcast. And and just, I feel so honored to be one of your first guests on here. Thank you so much. Thank you for jumping in and going with me right away. That's awesome. I know that, um, I know that you do awesome work and I'm really delighted to have you here. So you have quite the incredible story about how you help people and how you help people who have really been through tragedy. So I would love to have you just give us an introduction to this story that you have about the tragedy in your life, but what led up to that tragedy? Well, um, I always say when people ask me, how did it all start? I say it started in the blueberry patch <laughs> and I had moved back to Wisconsin. I quit my job. Um, I was so burnt out after 15 years. I didn't know what I was going to do, but my heart just kept saying, 
go east, go east. So packed up, put in my notice and moved east, started planting flowers <laughs> and um, on the home farm, my, my family farm that's been in the family for over 50 years. And, uh, you know, I was really searching, you know, what is it I'm supposed to be doing in life? What is my calling? And I just started planting flowers. Flowers brought me such joy, planting flowers and being out in the sun. And nature has always brought me a lot of joy in being with family. So one July day at the age of 41, I went blueberry picking with my mother. And on the way home, we stopped by, we saw this little country church. There were people outside. And I said, mom, let's turn around and be neighborly and say hello. And I had actually had my eye on that church for several years. I thought, oh, I would love to buy that church and preserve it and have events there and weddings. And then I thought, oh, I'm working part-time. I, I can't buy it. It's in your hands, God. I had no clue what God had planned for me with that little church and that desire that was planted in my heart. Yes. And that day when I turned around to be neighborly, I met my future husband. He was the one that had bought the church <laughs> and oh, uh, it, it was just, it, it, it was, it was a magical um, experience. People, uh, when they'd hear how we met, they'd say, oh, it's a Cinderella story. And it, it really was. He told me that the first time he met me, when he saw me, he heard the words, God's purpose, and he knew we'd be together. Wow. And I feel so fortunate to have known that kind of deep love. It's the kind of love where there's some people you meet and you instantly know them right away. I, I didn't have the same thoughts as he did when, when I met him. I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but then I came to realize that, yeah, this, this was part of the plan. This was part of what I signed up for. I love that. And there's so many powerful elements in your story already. First of all, you listened to your heart guidance and you followed it. That's mm -hmm. such a powerful thing. Then you did another important thing. You followed your joy. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and beyond that, you took action and it led you to something extraordinary. This yeah. amazing little church and meeting your future husband. What an extraordinary mm -hmm. blend of things you're bringing to the story. So you met this man and mm -hmm. It developed. You want to tell us the next stage of the story? <laughs> well, um, that was July. And in November, I got a letter that said, hi, this is your neighbor, Blake. And I'm like, Blake, I thought his name was Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> and he and I had to read the letter like three times before I realized he was asking me out to go to this concert of a well-known pianist in, in, the, in the Midwest. And I was just so surprised and I emailed him and said, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> and he was very persistent. Yeah. And he said, I have backstage passes. I'm like, oh, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> so did you leave it there or did you finally say yes? Well, um, you know, he, I had mentioned to him that I was working on, uh, a benefit for the Children's Dyslexia Center, a New Year's Eve ball. And he emailed back and said, well, it, my late husband was an architect. And so he worked with a lot of carpenters. And he said, I have people that can help. I can help you. 
And my first thought was, oh no, so-and-so won't like this. And then I thought, God is sending me help. I need to take it. And so I said, okay. And that's, that's my dog you hear climbing the stairs in the background. (laughs) So yes, I, um, I, I said, yes, you know, you can help. And he came to help and he just stared at me the whole time. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Who is he? And, and, um, it, it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And in the meantime, I told him, I said, you know, after, after we're done with this, um, I I'm thinking of moving out to Phoenix. I need, I need to find a new job. I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And he said to me in an email, he said, perhaps I can help. Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss and the entire universe will open doors where once there were only walls. And that was a piece of advice that has followed me through the last 10 years of my life to keep following my bliss. So when he said that, did that bliss thing go go right into your heart or into a deep place where it really imprinted you? Or did it take some while, uh, some time with it and experience with it for it to evolve? You know, it it took some time to evolve. And, you know, the next month after that, I had said, oh, by the way, um, they want to do frac sand mining here in Western Wisconsin. And we were very concerned about that with the effects on the environment. And we formed a coalition. And after a month of going to meetings and stuff, I realized, oh, okay, <laughs> this guy is for real. He's amazing. He's phenomenal. And, wow. you know, I, I learned so much from him. You, you mentioned um, when I heard your speech early today about sacred geometry, and you could see that in his work as an architect, um, really, really connected to source. Beautiful. How beautiful. And I also love the that you joined together on this fracking thing because Fracking is so disruptive to the natural energy of the earth and it pollutes mm-hmm. the water aquifers. And yeah, I'm yeah. thank you for standing up for that as well. But yeah, let's and, yeah. oh, yeah. So I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and most people don't realize that they, they, um, they need the special sand for it. So in Western Wisconsin and Eastern Minnesota, they take the hills way down. But what I forgot to mention is once he sent me that letter asking me out, and even though I said no, my dreams got really intense for about 10 days. And I couldn't remember them when I woke up, but I always knew I was down at that church for 10 days straight. I was at that church. Wow, that is a really powerful clue from higher guidance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's wonderful to have that sort of confirmation too, when you're getting into a serious relationship. Oh that's, yeah, definitely. That's extraordinary. So you have this, this time with him, with the fracking event. What evolved after that? Well, um, that went on for quite a while, about a year and a half. And it was really a wonderful experience that brought community members together and, you know, for a common cause. And it um, really opened up my eyes to a lot of like how local government works. And that's really our um, 
the most powerful form of government is local government. And, you know, going to meetings like that makes the difference. But I think that also um, is kind of symbolic, too, of how the most powerful way I believe to change the world is on the local level, not just government, but local right here in the heart, starting mm-hmm. with each one of us. Because yeah. when we learn to truly love ourselves, that's when we can truly love our neighbor and all of creation. It's when we have that love for ourselves and it's, it's got to start here. And when you start loving yourself more, you stop judging yourself. And then you stop judging other people, but it starts right I, here. I totally agree. And I have to say that when people are not able to love themselves, not only does it limit their ability to love fully, to really yeah. open and embrace that love, but it also impacts their immune system. And oh, definitely. So, yeah. So many people with that grew up with, harsh relationships or trauma or abuse or, you know, family rejection or going through, for example, the foster system, people who didn't really have those loving, nurturing relationships as children miss that loving print of loving themselves. And I just want people to know that's so important. And when we love ourselves, it's just as you said, that enables you to love others. And that's where we get the community connection. And both of those are so important for humanity to thrive. That love of self, that love of others, that ability to open your heart to people who may seem different than yours or their life may be different than yours. But when you open your heart, you find the connection that's powerful and you can connect in really meaningful ways. yeah, that's the magic of the heart. And I think you start to see more of the beauty all around you and appreciate it. And you yeah. start to really appreciate the different talents and gifts that other people are given. Absolutely. And I think it's just like you said, until you do, because you're judging yourself harshly, mm-hmm. there's a barrier between you and others where you're judging them more harshly because there isn't the self-love and acceptance that allows your heart to open to others. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly. a really important thing, really important. Mm-hmm. So next step of your journey. Well, um, we were married um, two years later after we had met. I was 43 at the time and we had a beautiful candlelight ceremony. We had the, the church that we had uh, married in, was actually a 130 year old church and it had sat vacant for about 10 years prior to that. It had been desanctified, but it had a lot of special meaning to me because I grew up in the area, but also my great grandfather was a minister there for 20 years. So we were married there in a candlelight ceremony. It was absolutely beautiful, you know, flowers everywhere and, you know, family and friends there. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was magical. And Wonderful. That's, the wedding of your dreams. That's where we met and started our married life together. And then, um, you know, we when we restored the church, it was, um, he had originally bought it to use as a studio, but we also used it to have community events there. We had a Christmas Eve service there. And what was one of my dreams was to host other weddings there. And 
in 2015, my nephew was to be married there. And we prepared for the wedding. It was all um, spotless, flowers everywhere. And the day before the wedding, I made all the floral arrangements for the reception. And my husband, Blake, went fishing. And I left. He was back at the church cleaning fish. One of the last things he said to me, he was in the kitchen. And I said, you know, I love you, don't don't you? And he's like, yeah, you love me enough to lick these fish guts off my arm. I'm like, uh, yeah. But that tells you about his sense of humor. <laughs> Anyways, um, so he was going to go rest. And I left to go deliver the flowers. And the reception was about 20 minutes from the church. I got there. I put my flowers down and my phone rang. And I got a call from my sister and she was crying into the phone. I could barely understand her. And she said, Jennifer, you have to get home. The church is on fire. And I was in utter shock. My brother drove me back cross country. You know, it was big rolling hills of Western Wisconsin. We came over this big hill and I could see plumes of black smoke coming in up the air. And by the time I reached it, it, you know, it was surrounded by fire trucks and policemen and neighbors and, and news cameras. And I just knew in my heart that my, my husband was gone, that he didn't get out. Wow. I was told that four different people, three or four different people went in and tried to get to him, but the smoke was so thick and it was a 130 year old church. So you can imagine the age of the timbers and the insulation in there, how dry that must've been. Yes. Yes. But I, I remember standing in that alfalfa field, you know, across from the church and the flames were like 40 and 50 feet high and I couldn't get warm. You know, I, I could, I couldn't talk. I could barely breathe. And it was like, I was on this movie set, like a really bad, bad movie. And I remember like this monarch butterfly just flittering around my legs. And all I could think was, I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't get to say goodbye. Mm, so such a heavy moment. In four years time, I went from meeting him to marrying him to being his widow. And this honestly was one of my worst fears come true because my mother was widowed when I was a child. And I had carried that fear throughout my life, that fear of loss. And it was huge. And before Blake and I were married, there were times I would just cry. And I'm like, God, what's this all about? And I saw a padlock on my heart and I was like, oh, it's wow. a combination of things. And it has to do with losing my father. So I stepped through that fear and married him. And then here it was, it was a widow anyway. It was wow. just crushing. And, you know, I, I'm standing there, you know, trying to make sense of it all. And it was just like this big brick wall came up around me and everything went dark. It was like the end. It's like, I couldn't imagine any more life. It was just like the end. And I found myself in the following days, not really caring if I lived. Not that I necessarily wanted to die, 
but I really didn't care if I lived. I didn't have a life wish. It was just the same thing every day. I'd go and pick through the ashes. You know, they'd be in my eyes, up my nose, under my fingernails. I smelled like smoke. I was looking for my husband, looking for my memories, Mm. looking for my home. It was just, it was really dark. And I remember too, and I know you'll get this because you work with the body. It's like going around going, I never knew my heart could hurt so much. Yeah. I was in so much physical pain. Yeah, I absolutely, that makes 100% uh, resonance with me. I've, I've experienced things like this myself and Mm -hmm. I've watched it with other people. I know when my father was dying, when I knew he was dying, it was like, I'd walk outside and the sun was shining and the birds were singing and flowers were blooming. And it just didn't seem like any of it was real. Everything was so surreal and I felt so detached and Mm -hmm. like part of me was in devastation and the other part of me was like unable to fully comprehend it, unable to fully process it. It was very interesting. And yeah, such a, such a tough time when someone you love passes. And I don't think you can really prepare for it. No, you can have conversations, you can do all the estate planning, which I highly recommend people do, but you, you can't, you know, I found like I could still in my mind go, okay, Blake would say this, or I could hear him saying that, but I missed his physical presence. I couldn't touch him anymore with my hands. Right. Right. It's very different to have someone transition out of physical form than to have them there. Even if you still connect with them afterwards, which some people I know with my father, he had been declining for a long, long time. He had kidney failure, heart failure. He'd been in the hospital so much. We knew he wouldn't live very long at the very end. It was amazing he lived as long as he did. But even though I thought I was prepared, it was such a shock when he went. I, I had to quit. I was in graduate school. I had to take the rest of the semester off. I found I couldn't focus. I couldn't function enough to really mm-hmm. even work through the materials. So I just took that semester off. And all I did was bury myself in my work. So I was working with an engineer at that time. And fortunately, I had really a great team to work with and people who were, were very supportive. But Oh my goodness, what a thing to go through. And I, if I didn't have that supportive community, I think it would have been yeah. so much harder. Did you have good support when you lost your husband? I really did. I really did. Um, my family's very close, which I believe a lot of that goes back to the losses that we had as children. Um, so, I mean, they were wonderful. My siblings were there helping me out. I had neighbors helping me out, you know, friends, um, and about a year after that, I found a community called Modern Widows Club, which mentors widows, and that was really helpful. So, and, um, you know, beyond that, I sought out other mentors too and, and worked with different people, different energy healers, uh, different healing modalities, which, which really, really helped. It makes such a difference. I know when 
I was in college and my father was dying. I had a friend who was also uh, working, getting an advanced degree in engineering, and he was losing his mother. And we would we would meet in the place there was like a study area for engineers, and we would, you know, we'd just connect and talk about our parents. We weren't even in the same class, but we were going through that same loss. And it's like we needed to talk to each other because we were the only ones that had that understanding of the experience of the loss. And then even after they passed, we both stayed in touch for a few years because, you know, then how do you deal with the parent that survives? How do you process it? There was so Mm -hmm. many things that we helped each other process by having the conversations. It's like, you're not alone. This is normal. It's horrible to go through, but if you have someone who can at least understand and confirm and validate your feelings and experience and even detachment, because you start detaching from different segments of life sometimes, it really helps. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you went through this major loss. You joined a group that helps support widows process their grief. Mm-hmm. What was your next step in recovering your heart? Well, even before that, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, every day I was going and digging through the ashes and it was 79 days after the fire where I just, I went back to my mom's home where I was staying and I was just laying on my bed, staring at the ceiling like it did most days. And I, I had a vision. I saw this purple piece of paper unfold and it said on there, Jennifer, you have to try. And I got up and I wrote a note that said, I am loved. And I stuck it on my mirror. And I, I really believed acknowledging that was the beginning of the healing. You know, I, I maybe couldn't feel it at the time, but I knew deep in my heart it was true. And I do remember standing there watching the fire and going, nobody will love me like Blake loved me. And that's true to a certain extent because all of our relationships are unique. Like nobody's going to love you like your father loved you. Right, right. But you can have the same type of love for yourself, the same type of compassion that your father had for you, that kind of love where he nurtured you and trained you and provided for you for yourself. So there's still so much love and gifts to be found in this world. So really um, letting the love in was huge for me. And then from there, really learning to, express what I was feeling. I, from the start, I was writing down all my dreams and poetry poured out of me for about four or five months. I have a poetry collection, which I have not published yet, but poetry. And then I was uh, introduced to different art processes. One of them was soul collage, which was amazing. Have you heard of that? It's absolutely amazing. I I haven't seen it. I would be very curious to find out more about what you do with it, but I think, yeah, anything that allows you to express at different levels in different ways is very helpful and healing. Oh, definitely. And with the soul collage, I was actually at a workshop where they taught you how to do it and you gather images and you put them on a card and then you learn to uh, journal with the card. 
But I got so excited. I had all these magazines and images. I had to go sit on the floor because I was taking up the whole table. And it was like I was transported to that little girl of seven years old, sitting in the living room in the dark the day of my father's funeral, mm-hmm. alone. And it was like I heard myself say, finally, I have a way to express myself. And it's wow, really... It was, it's a powerful process. And, um, you know, six months later I, I did art therapy and with the art therapy, you, you bypass that rational logic thinking part of your mind and just open up to spirit and it just flows. And it's, it's just phenomenal what can come through. If I had been in talking therapy, I would have been like, well, yeah, this, 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 and this, but with the art, I go in there and my therapist would be like, well, what do you want to do today? I'm like, I don't know, maybe watercolor and I'd be painting. And then all of a sudden the tears would just start pouring out. So it was so healing and powerful. I love this part of your story. And I have to share something with you because I've got inspiration from what you're saying. Yeah, I work with sound and I do it with singing bowls. And I have a whole Mm -hmm. array, Tibetan bowls, Ben bowls alchemical crystal bowls that can be made out of precious metals and precious stones and blends of those things. When my son was in art school, the parents had to volunteer. So I came in during art class and played bowls. The cool thing about that is the kids, because it did bypass the ego mind. It takes you into the soul energy, the feeling energy, the heart energy. And the kids would have such an experience and they would say, Mrs. Page, those bulls touched my soul. Little kids are telling me. And then the teachers, I didn't know this, but the teachers started talking because after I played the bowls, the kids in class would be, they'd pay attention better. They'd be calmer. They'd be less, Mm -hmm. less distracted, less, arguments and fights happened between the kids that day. And pretty soon I was playing in three different classrooms because the teachers wanted those results for their students. So bowls with art, what a win, which maybe we should do that. And just that focus of going into the spirit, the, the heart, the flow, the, the feeling energy, and letting whatever comes up in you flow. That is so profound. And our logical mind shuts that down so much. It prevents us from going into the depths of who we are, exploring that rich magic of our heart and soul. So I love that you do this. I'm so inspired to find out about this. Yeah, and it's... It's just something that I just kept up with. And, you know, it's spirit speaks to us in many ways. It does. Through the music, through the art, through the experiences, through nature. And the more we can connect in, the closer we come to our purpose, our passion, our path. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And it isn't, it's not the logical process. I mean, Mm -hmm. logic has its place and it's important. I still love science and engineering. That's not not what opened my world of healing. It's not what Mm -hmm. feels magical to me. 
both, both of these parts are important. I want people to be really clear about that. And, Mm -hmm. but when you can blend both of them together and really give space for that infinite spirit of love to flow through you, the life you live changes the world you experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it, I know you've experienced this because of the work you do. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about this process of art and ways to let this grief process? Well, you know, I, like, like I mentioned before, um, my father died when I was quite young and I didn't realize that I was still carrying that grief for so long. So that is one of the blessings I believe that came out of this whole grief journey is I finally grieved his loss after I had grieved losing my husband and the church, which was my dream. Um, I was finally able to get to that grief of losing my father and finally see him no longer as the sick man, but as this remarkable man that he was very talented. And, um, you know, I mentioned being exposed to this whole new journey with art But um, also like singing bowls, that became part of my healing, working with frequency, um, just so many different modalities, Um, shamanic journeying with drumming, um, working with my dreams. And and I feel like everything that um, I was shown has led up to this point. And I mentioned, you know, that point after the fire, I just didn't care if I lived. You know, Mm. I didn't have a life wish, but now I do. And my life wish is to help others find that joy and that beauty and see, you know, that there's still hope, there's still a plan, there's still a purpose for them. And that's why I have developed the five keys bliss, which um, remember I said earlier, my husband was the one that introduced me to that phrase. So um, in a sense, it really honors him in the journey that I was on with him, but it's also helping other people to find their bliss that and the bliss I like to define is that what lights you up and makes your heart sing and like to go through those five keys with us absolutely yes so the first one is uh it's an acronym for the word bliss so there's five of them first one is breathe and you know we maybe take that for credit uh you know for credit or um don't think much of it but when is the last time you took a deep breath And I know like when I was grieving, I'd have people say to me, Jennifer, breathe, breathe. And I didn't even realize I was holding my breath. I was just stuck in that moment. And now when I feel something come on, because there's still times where I miss my husband, I miss Blake. um, And I just, I do the the four-step breathing process, which is, um, or as the box breathing, which is what I teach in my course. And so, so it starts with your breath. And then the second one, L, is love. As we talked about earlier, that love for yourself is so important. And um, following the fire, I knew I had to be very meticulous with everything because there would be an insurance claim. And I knew to pay attention. And I took a lot of photos. And one of the first things I saw laying outside in the pile of rubble was a piece of paper that said, God is love. And he who dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So that love is huge. So that's the second key. The third key is imagine. 
And, you know, our imagination is this pathway of curiosity that can really help us hone in on what it is that brings us joy and brings us that, that blissful feeling. So there's imagine, there's savor, and that's really a key of gratitude and beauty. Um, you know, I, I give um, Blake a lot of credit for uh, bringing a, a deeper appreciation uh, for beauty to my life. He was an architect and he wanted his buildings to be living pieces of art. So you'd walk in and just feel lifted up. But at the same time, he would like save a bone from a beef roast and sit it on the counter because he appreciated the curve of the bone and how it was created. Wow. So, you know, that's really taught me to like, to slow down and like, I'll go for a walk and I'll see the mushrooms growing on the tree. And I'll be like, wow, look at those colors. Look at the way they line up so beautifully. So um, that is savor. And then the fifth one is surrender, which can be one of the toughest ones. But that is one which I like to say is making peace with the plan and just really trusting. Okay. This, this is, it's going to be okay. But it's also knowing when to um, let things go. Um, I like to joke when people ask me, well, what did you learn from the fire? I say, well, I learned how to di- drive a dump, tra- a dump trailer. <laughs> and that's a trailer behind a pickup truck that it, you push this button, it lifts up and it dumps everything down because I hauled a lot of stuff away from the rubble when we cleaned it up. But it's really symbolic to me. It's like learning how to take what you don't need and just letting it go. So you have space for more and more abundance and more joy in your life. So again, being in that flow. Beautiful, beautiful and really, really important concepts. I think that will help a lot of people. I love that. The savor, just noticing those little things in nature, just tiny little things. Like today, I noticed a flock of birds flying by, and it just literally was so beautiful. It took my breath away. And I was just like, wow, just watching them go through the sky. And it just magical for me because it was like a confirmation for something. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, and you know, if, if you just listen to our media nonstop, you you just you're missing so much beauty in the world. It, it's it's so loud, and you just it can really bring you down. But when you could go out and be in nature and see those birds flying and appreciate the beauty, and how do they fly? How do they know how to fly? How do they know where to go when they migrate? Look at the little hummingbird, how far they fly, or the the monarch butterflies. Is absolutely amazing. And you start to, when you savor, you start to appreciate too how amazing our bodies are. You know, that's just all the things that they can do. And, you know, I'm so excited for the work that you do helping people heal because our, our bodies are phenomenal. They are totally phenomenal. There is no scientific reason I should be functioning right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that goes beyond a 3D description of reality with your our bodies. And that's the part mm-hmm. that we frequently don't know and don't embrace. And it's just, yeah. it's so important to embrace the possibilities, even if you don't understand them. 
because mm-hmm. sometimes that's where the greatest potential is. And I think yeah. your story is so beautiful because you were given such a heartbreak. And I know when you lose a husband, I've been through divorce. It's not the same as being a widow, but it's like when you lose your husband, you lose your dreams, everything you hoped for and yeah. believed in for your future is just suddenly yeah. gone. And it's it's lost you it's a loss of part of your heart dream. And oh absolutely. Absolutely the a huge massive challenge to get through and to do it with grace so that you don't go into a place of anger or a place of shutdown or withdrawing from life. It's such a powerful thing. So I'm so grateful that you've shared these amazing stories with people because I think it's going to help so many people to learn about your story. So I know that you've done so many things since this event evolved in your life and you teach women and you help people work through their grief. You're also an author. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I actually wrote a newsletter for a number of years for the organization that I volunteered for for a couple of years. And I recently had an article published in a magazine. However, I am working on, I have three books going right now. So one of them I hope to have finished by the end of the year. And that is called Road to Asheville, Journey from the Chapel of Love to the Cathedral of the Divine. And that is my story really of, it's a love story. My love story with Blake, but also learning to love myself and love life and to really, um, there's just so many amazing stories in there from the times he visited me in dreams to the signs that were right there. Like I mentioned that piece of paper that said, God is love to, um, just, yeah, just so many synchronicities and, um, yeah, I just, and I feel like, this story is important to share because there's other people going through the same thing and yes. they need to have hope and know that they will make it through. Um, I know at first I just felt like I was just drifting, just lost. But now it's like, I see that that time that I felt like I was drifting, I was really healing that my body, my soul, my spirit needed that time to just heal. You know, yeah. it's just, when we then, you know we heal even if it's uncomfortable yeah. to feel and painful to feel mm-hmm. feeling it allows us to move through it otherwise Absolutely. we hold it in our body and if we hold it there long enough it can be toxic or make make us sick or slow us down yes. it's like carrying the weight of the worst thing that happens with you because you can't move through it and let it go so absolutely. I, re- I remember saying to my therapist, I'm like, I feel like I'm walking around with this big bag of grief on my, sh- on my back. I said, I don't know what to do with it. And she looked at me and she said, you feel it. You feel it. I'm like, Oh, I, I mean, seriously, I was just like, Oh, I hadn't really given myself permission to feel it. I lived in the land of should for a while. Like I should be done with this. My house should be clean. My dishes should be done. What's wrong with me? But you've got to feel it. It's part of the human process. Yes. It's okay to lay on the sofa and eat potato chips yeah. and not take a shower for a week. You don't want to stay there. 
You don't but it's want okay. to there. And if you're feeling it, and if you need help processing, absolutely get it. Because sometimes yeah. you can't do this alone. And that's absolutely okay. that's totally okay. We all need help sometimes. But definitely do. find a way, whatever way it is, to feel it in a way that you can feel the feelings and move through them so you can yeah. let them go because your freedom is on the other side of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where feel you those breathe again. It's like, mm-hmm. like there's such a, a weight on you. You don't really breathe in the fullness of life until yeah. you cross that. And then when you cross through or, or go through the grief, you can look back and say, oh, I still have that love in my heart. Love yeah. doesn't go away. It's always, yeah. it goes with your soul. It doesn't end with a lifetime. It's, right. it's part of the heart energy that mm-hmm. just can be so powerful. I saw a picture. Uh, my sister got it from my cousin who had a picture for years. And it's of a dear uncle who passed, oh, probably 30 years ago. When I saw that picture, it was like, whew, all this love came back. And I'd never yeah. seen that picture before. And I thought, wow, I could just feel how much he meant to me. And I'm like, yeah, so powerful. That love doesn't go away. So we think we've had a loss, but really, really, we've had an experience that has shaped our heart, an experience that has given us the strength of that person in our lives to carry with us mm. yeah, to be stronger and better as we go forward. And I think that has to be acknowledged. That has to be taken in when it can be. Yeah. And, you know, it's all a step. It's all a step. And you can't go there until you're ready. So if you're not ready, mm-hmm. just love yourself for where you're at. It's everybody mm-hmm. has their own journey and their own time. Yeah, and, absolutely. And people might say, oh, it's been six months. You should be over it. Or it's been a year and a half. You should be over it. That is not how it works. You have to allow what needs to unfold, what needs to process to happen in its own organic way. And that is what your mind, body, spirit needs to release absolutely all this yeah. grief in a healthy mm-hmm. way that allows you to come back into a new version of yourself for having gone through this journey. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. Yeah. So you're publishing a book soon. Yes. So at the, with, with the write up about this podcast for the listeners who would like to connect with Jennifer who resonate with her amazing and powerful story, please connect with her. I think she's got incredible things to offer. I love what she's doing, and I know she can make a powerful difference in your life. Thank you for listening. And Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. I know that this will bless and help a lot of people. Thank you so much for having me, Sally, and blessings on your journey. I just 
I feel so strongly about the work that you're doing with people and helping them heal. And just, just think of how many lives you touch when you are touching those people and they turn around and it's that ripple effect. More yes. people heal, all more people them. heal. We all do that yeah. together. When we can come into community and love each other, we all enrich each other that way. So back to mm -hmm. that it's so important. So I'm glad you're part of my community, Jennifer. Thank you. This is Sally Page here to give you my personal thanks for listening to the Ignite Your Sacred Light podcast. I am so grateful that you chose to spend your time with me. Would you like to find out more about igniting your sacred light or how to connect with the sacred light community? Go to Ignite yoursacredlight.com to find out more about my free light language activation that will raise your vibration and ignite powerful shift in consciousness. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with your friends. Until next time, may the brilliance of your sacred light ignite in magical ways.